0: Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. Uh, Glad to have you uh, joining us today. Uh, I'm, as is always the case, joined by my two colleagues, Chris Dorides. Chris is the Deputy Chief Economist and uh, Ryan Sweet. Ryan is the Director of Real-Time Economics. And we also have a a guest uh, today, uh, Dan White. Dan is uh, another one of our colleagues. Uh, Dan is the Director of Public Sector Research. Uh, Dan, um, how long have you been uh, with us at, uh, at uh, Moody's Analytics?
1: Uh, going on 12 years now.
0: 12 years. So, uh, and you came to us, as I recall, from the state of New Mexico. Is that right? You were at the state of New Mexico before you came to, to Moody's?
1: I was. Yeah, I was. uh, I worked for the legislature in New Mexico um, for the Legislative Finance Committee um, doing revenue forecasting and economic analysis around um, finance and public debt and all that fun stuff.
0: Yeah. And um, uh, how did you find us? How did you find Moody's? Uh, What what was uh, what was that link?
1: You know, I grew up in a lot of places when I was a kid. Um, and when my wife and I had our oldest son, we uh, we looked at a bunch of places to live. And uh, one of the places I grew up in was, was uh, Pennsylvania around the Pittsburgh area. Um, and so I applied to a bunch of jobs in Pennsylvania and uh, not knowing where a lot of them were, hoping they were close to Pittsburgh. And boy, was I wrong uh, with Westchester. It couldn't have been further away from Pittsburgh.
2: <laughs> but
1: uh, but it was uh, it was a, an awesome fit for us, and my wife and I are, are super happy in the area, and uh, it's been a great move for us um, being with you guys in Westchester. Yeah,
0: and I, I I I think you're you were a football player, right? You played football, didn't you?
1: For, for, I did. I played football. I played football at New Mexico State, and uh, got my butt kicked by some of the best football players in the country. Is all right. Would we know
0: any of those players? Are they are they in the pros now?
1: Oh, yeah. We played against everybody. Um, my first game I ever played in in college actually was against Vince Young and um, um, Darren Sproles. I played with him and you know, a bunch of guys. Really?
0: Darryl Sproles. Wow. You, he's a pretty tough guy to tackle. Were you what, what position did you play?
1: So I was an outside linebacker and a long snapper for punts and extra points. And I remember I, I, I touched Darren Sproles twice as he ran by me on punt returns. So he returned two <laughs> punts punts against us he, he was
2: tough to bring down uh yeah he, he's a tough player uh he's a tough player
1: well while we're on
0: sports uh uh you must be pretty happy chris
2: right i'm, I'm thrilled yeah tell the,
0: tell the listeners why
2: uh, uh two reasons italy won the uh the euro cup and argentina won the uh, copa america
0: so. oh i didn't know about argentina why, why do you care so much about argentina well, we all know you're Italian, so that's why you care about the Italian team. I right? am Italian. Yeah, yeah, I was actually born in Argentina. I. The- you know what? I've known. So, I know. I thought I knew everything about you. I did not that's
2: know a little, that little uh, factoid. But I only I lived there very briefly. So, we're,
0: Buenos Aires, or somewhere else? Buenos
2: Aires. Else? Guess, yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We've got a lot of links to Argentina at Moody's. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. While we're on sports, just to flesh things out, uh, <laughs> did you play baseball in
3: college? I did. You did. And who'd you play for? Uh, Washington College. It's a small uh, school in Chestertown, Maryland.
2: Wow!
0: And what position did you play? What
3: uh, third base. Third base. Third base.
0: Well, guys, I'll have to say, I'm a little bit of a, a nerdy geek. I, I didn't. I mean, I ran track a little bit up until middle school. I played a little football. Maybe, actually, I was pretty good up until,
3: you know. Wait, a, a, American, American football 80. or soccer?
0: No, American football,
3: American football. I can't picture you. Uh, no. no, 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 no.
0: Hey, <laughs> when I, I was a strapping young guy at one point. Yeah. Uh, so I, But I, I was up that. to sixth grade. Uh, but I, I, my, I was a, I played in band. Sorry. You know, it sounds, I, I don't know. It sounds like so geeky now relative to you guys. I was a, I played in a jazz band when I was in uh, high school, um, toured around, actually we went to Spain. We were on the, well, I don't know if this is true, but they told told me that uh, that we played on the Johnny Carson of Spain uh, uh, touring around. Uh, we played in jazz competitions. So, but, you know, you, you guys um, uh, just feel a little out of place
1: with all their uh, prowess. Uh, hey, you, you, get, you get hit and head a lot less playing in the jazz band, so that's probably better <laughs> for being an economist. That's a
0: good point. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, it's good to have you, Dan. Thanks for joining. Uh, and uh, just for the listener, Dan and I, We've done a lot of work over the years. Uh, we've had a, a boatload of fun over our presidential election modeling uh, and also evaluating the policy proposals put forth by uh, various presidential candidates over the years. You know, the various uh, presidential elections, we've done a lot of work uh, and a lot of debates uh, because. Dan is, you know, as you can tell, I might be a little around the left of center. Dan's a little, I'd say. And correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. I, I don't want to mislabel mislabel you, or maybe I shouldn't label you at all. But I think if you kind of, sort of, a little bit right of center. Would that be fair?
1: I think so, that's fair.
0: Yeah. And I and I, Derrides and and Sweet, I don't know where the hell they are on the on the spectrum. They're they're on this they like middle. to keep
1: you very close to their vest
0: yeah they do they do indeed they do indeed well it's good to have you so um uh, as everyone knows who's been listening to the podcast we begin with the statistics uh and then we'll turn to the big topic after that and this and of course uh, apropos to having dan on we're going to be talking about fiscal policies a lot going on in Washington. A very fiscal policy packages, proposals kind of winding their way through, and we'll talk about that. But before we get there, let's talk about the statistics. And, uh, Ryan, uh, you go first uh, this week. Uh, what's your statistic?
3: All right, A ton of stuff came out, but I'm going with 1.3%. 1. 1.3%,
0: 1.
3: you got to uh, think outside the box. Really? It's an important one, so you can't give me any crap about it. <laughs>
2: Oh, Chris seems I like it. he knows. I, I know what. Well, there might be more than one. One point three percent. Go uh, ahead. Far away. I think uh, retail sales, uh, x auto. Nope. No? no. Are you sure about that? Uh, well, retail sales. Wait, no, it could be. I'm,
3: I'm. That's not uh, the number the I'm thinking of.
2: Thinking. No,
0: no, I can't. Well, I don't know. Retail sales were up point six. What was retail sales x auto?
3: I think it was closer again. to one. One. Was one point one it, maybe.
0: Oh, was it that strong? I didn't. Know yeah, that. it was strong. Okay. So okay, so Chris, maybe you should check it out. Maybe check it out. Now. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> while, while you can fact check. It. That's fine. You said this is a little out of the box.
3: Yeah, from our normal discussions. Let's all right. So I'm broadening out. Okay. So okay. it's a non-US number.
0: Oh, you said okay. uh, that's quarter. To, I know Chinese GDP growth. There you go. That's quarter to quarter. And Dan, it's are not annualized. You Wait a second, Dan. Are you impressed? I got that. Some somebody's got to be impressed. I got that.
1: I'm impressed you got the quarter to quarter number because I didn't yeah, even right. look at the quarter to quarter number. 1. I almost Daniel number.
3: No, you 7. can't look 9%. at it. You can't look at anything year over year right now because it's all only up only
1: the- only you and Ryan look at that quarter to quarter number.
0: No, well, that's well, probably half true. There's got to be somebody out there that knew that number other than Dan- <laughs> Ryan and I. One point three percent, but that. That that was So tell us about that. Why did you pick that number, Ryan?
3: So I've been paying very close attention to what's going on in China because it's likely what the U.S. is about to go through. I mean, they got out of the gate after the pandemic very, very quickly, uh, a lot of support from uh, fiscal stimulus and reopening of the economy. Then things slowed down a little bit. Uh, and you can see that in the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index for China. It's been below zero. Uh, if it's zero, it means the uh, incoming monthly quarterly data is in line with ex- expectations. It's been below zero for several months now. And that may have contributed to the Chinese central bank cutting the reserve requirement recently.
0: Hmm. So,
3: But the good thing uh, is the economy is picking back up. So I, I think we may have a similar case in the US, we go through a little bit of a lull as the fiscal impulse you know, response fades a little bit. And then we find our feet again and start running.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I think there's a reasonable probability that the US economy as measured by real GDP growth. Year over year, real GDP growth will be stronger than Chinese real GDP growth over the next couple, four quarters. Because uh, as you point out, the Chinese economy has slowed. It it, uh, benefited from the surge of its reopening earlier and now is on the backside of that. And we still have a lot of growth related to uh, the reopening. And I and I think in our forecast we have U.S. real GDP growth stronger on a on a year over year basis stronger than China through starting this quarter Q2 and extending through I think Q2 2022. Guess when the last time that yeah, happened? Right. Guess when that last time. Yeah. You want to get want to you want to take a crack at that? When's the last time U.S. growth on a year-over-year basis was stronger than Chinese uh, GDP growth? It's got to be a while ago, right? I mean, we the China entered into the WTO, I believe, in two thousand and one, right? So after that, it's been blistering growth in China. Nineteen ninety. Have to go back to nineteen ninety. Yeah, to see that. I think we. That's that. I think China. Uh, the, Uh, in the US-China relationship should be a podcast. Don't you think we should get- sure. Yeah, I agree. We should dig deeper into that, yeah. Um, Yeah, Anything else on that, Ryan, you wanted to mention about about China, Chinese growth? No, No, I think we covered it. Okay, okay, very good. Um, Chris, what's your statistic?
2: I'll give you an easy one because Ryan's was tough. Uh, 80.8. 80. Oh, uh, but before I go there, 1.3% okay. was retail sales X auto. Uh, okay. so just No way. Record. Yeah. Really? Not right. X auto and gas,
0: X auto. Just X auto.
2: Just X auto. Okay.
0: I think you've been boning up for this podcast.
2: You bet. You uh, bet. <laughs>
0: I think <laughs> we all are. are.
2: <laughs> uh,
0: uh, uh, hey, not me. I I, that, I just knew that 1.3%. <laughs> um, all right. 808 Okay. 80. All right, Mark, I'll let you go first. 80, you know this off the, you know, this yeah. right away. Uh, well, what is it? What yeah. is it? 80.8? 80. 80.
3: University of Michigan consumer confidence.
0: Yep. that's. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I didn't. Uh, yeah, exactly. it came in a lot
3: weaker than yeah. you know, what people were expecting. I Definitely wonder if like the awesome. inflation, what do you think, Chris? Do you think it's the inflation jitters?
2: I think uh, gas prices, inflation jitters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and inflation expectations were up. Um, in the survey, oh. so I think that's part of it, and I think oh. I, I also think it's this uh, latest round of COVID uh, oh, increases. You do, you know, I think that might, huh. you know, certainly not confidence. Well, you know, there's this
0: growing gap between the Conference Board survey of consumer confidence and the umish uh, Sentiment Index. I guess that that's because the Conference Board survey is more labor market oriented. Is that correct? Is that why, Ryan?
2: Yeah.
3: Yep. Yeah. where michigan's much more personal finance tied so to chris's point higher gas prices things like that are going to affect michigan more than conference board
0: i would have thought the higher stock prices and housing values though would have lifted you mish uh, but i guess it's more about
2: gas prices yeah okay oh the, um, the the buying expectations were down as well though were they in terms of home people feeling like it's a good time to buy a home or a car or yeah so, yeah. Hey, hey uh,
0: Chris, you're coming in a little bit light, your sound. So oh, I don't know. If OK,
2: let me that. see what I can do. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: that that's better. Yeah, that's better. OK.
2: Better.
0: All right. OK. Hey, Dan, I, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh, but uh, uh, do you have a statistic you want to uh, to call out? Or? I'm an
1: economist, Mark. I've always got a statistic in my back pocket just in case.
0: Oh, is that right?
1: Okay. Uh, how about two hundred and two percent?
0: Two hundred and two percent. Would this happen? I'll give
1: It dovetails very nicely with our discussion today.
0: Okay, two hundred and two percent. Is that is that something like um, uh, this guy has something to do with deficits or debt? Probably. Incre- yeah. Right. That's my guess.
2: Yes, At least in the deficit. Okay,
0: and is it is that the it's kind of a weird thing to, to look at, but is it, the, is it the increase in the size of the annual budget deficit?
1: Uh, it's not an increase. So it's a share of something.
0: Oh, 202%. Well, overall debt, federal debt is more like 100%, a little over 100% of GDP, right? That's 100% of GDP. So that can't be it. Um,
1: well, you're 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 on the, you're on the right track. It's a it's a projection that recently came out from CBO.
0: Oh, so is it? So is that where we're headed? That's where defi- the debt to GDP ratio is that's headed.
1: The, that's the current law baseline estimate. I, it's the one I always look at for 30 years from now. Uh, I have four boys, as you guys know, and one of them is exactly 30 years younger than I am. And so I always figure out, well, when he's my age, what will the, GDP ratio, or the uh, GDP ratio be? And under the baseline, so the best case scenario, so assuming there's no more recessions for the next 30 years, um, CBO estimates it'll be 202%. Oh man,
0: I didn't know that. That's current law. So that means that if there's no changes in policy whatsoever, uh, based on their economic assumptions, 30 years from now, the nation's federal debt to GDP ratio will be over 200% right now. And so it's going to double over the next
1: 30 years. It'll, yep, it'll double over the next 30 years. And that's huge because just two years ago, so pre-pandemic, the same report, it's that annual long-term outlook that CBO puts out. Um, they estimated that 30 years from now, we'd be at about 145, 150% of GDP so we've right. basically we've we've fast forwarded a generation in terms of the debt to gdp ratio
0: wow that's a pretty sobering statistic you know um we create this uh this statistic called fiscal space fiscal space is the uh difference between the nation's debt to gdp ratio actual debt to gdp ratio and that debt to gdp ratio above which um the, you get into a self-reinforcing negative cycle where investors begin to lose faith that they're going to get repaid in a timely way because of the high debt load. Interest rates start to rise. That increases the interest expense of the government, adds to the deficit and debt, and you get into this kind of vicious death spiral. And uh, according to our analysis, uh, we've got about a, a 200, 250 percentage points of GDP left before we run out of space. So it feels like, uh under the c b o scenario we're getting pretty close to that uh, to that death spiral that that is pretty sobering yeah well
1: wow. yeah yeah and if you use if you look at some of their more realistic cyclical forecasts, it gets up above two hundred and thirty two so. hundred forty percent
0: yeah yeah well, that is good we'll come back to that in just a minute i I've got a statistic uh but it's not fair really um so <laughs> As I, but I'm gonna try anyway. As usual, uh, as usual. <laughs> I know. I I actually I'm pretty good. Aren't I I I come up with statistics that you know they're doable. Uh, but this one I don't think is doable. But it does highlight a point. Uh, and I and I won't make make you suffer for very long. But I'll I'll uh, I'll go ahead and say it. Thirty three out of thirty six. Thirty three out of thirty six. Uh, and I'll give you one, two, three. I'll give you a hint. It has to do with the stock market has to do with earnings,
3: has to do, it has to do with uh, the s How many companies have beat earnings projections already?
0: Excellent. 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 Very good. Yeah. Of the 36 companies in the S&P 500 who have reported, 33 have beat analyst expectations. So, you know, that highlights how strong businesses are doing. Uh, corporate earnings are Very, very good. Um, You know, uh, it hasn't helped the stock market out so much. Stock market's been kind of going sideways here, but of course, the stock market's come a long way in a very short period of time. Valuations are extraordinarily high, so not too surprising. But uh, yeah, businesses are are rip roaring here, Uh, despite, um, you know, uh, the pandemic, despite the tight labor market, despite the stronger wage growth, uh, despite the the disruptions of the global supply chain and and higher prices for materials and everything else, they're, they're doing well. They're, they're, um, they're doing really well. So businesses are, you know, raking it in. So is this Um, as good
2: as it gets or do you see more?
0: I I think so. I think, I think it's gonna be pretty tough, you know, going forward. I mean, they got, they benefited obviously from the surge in demand coming out of the Mm. pandemic. Uh, They benefited from some cost cutting and restructuring that they did during the pandemic. I mean, yep. we saw, we've seen productivity gains improve quite a bit during the pandemic and that goes right to the bottom line. Uh, and of course, a lot of it's been driven by, you know, you know the, the, the the companies that are reporting first, there are, a lot of them are financial, you know, like JP Morgan Chase or Goldman Sachs, and they're benefiting from the wide yield curve. So, you know, short-term interest rates are pinned to zero. Even though long-term rates are very low, they're very high relative to zero. So, you know, you can make a lot of money just- you know, borrowing uh, short uh, at a low interest rate and lending at a longer rate, and 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 booking that spread. And I think a lot of that was going. And of course, markets are strong, and that goes to trading volumes and you know commissions and and that kind of thing. And M and A activity has been merger and acquisition activity has been very good. So the f- the financials have done very well. But you know, broadly, I think companies. But I think it is the high watermark. You know, in terms
3: of uh, corporate earnings growth. That's
0: yeah. what yeah. we have in our yeah.
3: forecast. Yeah. Is that what we have in the forecast? Yeah, we have, I mean, I look at margins. So yeah. profit margins, corporate profit margins are expected to, to decline in the second half of this year in our forecast.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, makes sense. Which makes sense, yeah. It makes a lot of sense, okay. Um, uh, we have been following a few statistics on an ongoing basis. Uh, and uh, first up, Chris's UI claims, unemployment insurance claims, what did they do last week?
2: Uh, they had a good week at uh, 360,000. So down 26,000 from the week before, so good move. movement. Uh, Four-week four average is 383,000, so below 400,000. That's good. We're moving in the right direction. Um, so all in all, uh, quite positive. Uh, yeah, we're, but, but we're still well above what we would consider normal at 250,000, or prior to the pandemic, we were as low as 210,000, I believe.
0: Anything in the UI data that uh, goes to the debate over the impact of unemployment insurance, the supplemental UI, on labor markets? Did you notice anything in the data?
2: I didn't. I thought it was still too early uh, to detect. Um, but, but Ryan, I know you you parse out the data as well. So
3: well, Adam, Adam Caymans, one of our colleagues, he wrote a very uh, it was a great piece on Economic View, looking at that, uh, you know, that debate, you know, is there any evidence in the UI data that, you know, ending the supplemental UI benefits early is, you know, causing claims to fall. He does see, he he identified some, you know, disparity that those states that did end it, you're seeing claims fall more quickly than others. But then he points to the home-based data, uh, Google mobility, and there's not a lot of evidence there that it's having a big impact. So I think the jury's still out. I think we need a you know, a few more weeks or a couple months. I see. We I yeah, know
2: is tough, right?
3: Yeah, exactly.
0: I know we got data today uh, for June um, uh, labor market data, employment data uh, at a state level, and uh, I, I was looking at that. I, hard to discern any impact of. It's probably it's still very early, but we had a few states. I think you had four states, four or five states that ended the supplemental UI uh, during the. June survey week, Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics conducts a survey uh, during the week of the 12th of the month. And you had four states uh, who uh, uh, ended the supplemental UI uh, during that week. And uh, based on that, you you can't see anything. I mean, in fact, employment in those states actually fell, whereas in May it increased. So that wouldn't be consistent with it. And then there were there's more states, there's probably, I'm making this up, so I don't have it exactly right, but six, eight states that ended supplemental UI by uh, the end of June, early July. And if you look at that, there's a few states where the June employment data is stronger than May, but there's a few states where the June employment data is weaker than May. So again, pretty hard to to discern anything. But again, it's too early to tell. We'll have to wait at least another month, I think, or two before we have enough data. I
3: did see, I think, I don't know if it was morning console or indeed they did a survey and they asked respondents, like, if you're not in the labor force, what's the primary reason? And UI benefits was the lowest, the percent of respondents. Number one was childcare issues and number two was healthcare health concerns.
0: That's interesting. Yeah.
3: Which I think that is the correct rank. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that that'd be consistent with what I would say, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll get a good sense of it soon uh, mine was cop- my statistic i've been following is uh, copper prices i didn't look today maybe ryan you did or chris but they still remain very elevated uh, four dollars and 25 cents four dollars 30 cents uh, per pound and uh, no real change that's where we've been uh it's, it's off the high but it's still very elevated anything over four bucks uh, a pound is consistent with uh, Strong global economy and a lot of pricing pressures out there, so that has not abated to any significant degree. No, no change there. But pricing remains a, a problem, a, an issue globally. Um, and Ryan, yours uh, is the. Have you seen okay.
3: lumber prices?
0: They have. I thought they had stayed. They had been cut in half from the peak, and they've stabilized. No, or are they? Are they still coming in?
3: In mean, the last couple oh, of days, they've dropped a lot. Far, yeah. Okay.
0: We're, we're, no, I think right.
3: that's what people are banking on for all these other commodities that they start to come back down. Come back down,
0: yeah. And in, do we know why they're coming down? Lumber prices, any particular reason? Is it just a confluence of stuff?
2: Yeah, that's less demand, like. yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. Also, there was there have been uh, reports of some speculation that had been going on there so some reversal of the trades so, so. yeah you got uh, concerned at all about the coffee prices for your Wawa boost every morning coffee's been you
0: know I haven't been paying attention should I <laughs> what's going on with regard to coffee prices Are coffee's
2: they... going up I think there was a bad season or something uh, no really I didn't notice that. To demand yeah you haven't noticed uh, so Wawa is keeping the keeping in the line so far not
0: necessarily maybe. I mean I'm on autopilot every morning no. I get up every they're, Here's my are keeping yeah. it
1: at a dollar for now. That's all you need.
0: It's all yeah. I mean, I get up, I take a shower, I let the dogs out. They, I hop in my car, I go five minutes to Wawa. I get my coffee, 16 ounce. You know, I chat with the folks outside a little bit because there's always a little bevy of, you know, uh, people out there, you know, congregate around the Wawa and, uh, and uh, I come home and I, I just, you know, stick in my debit card, pay. I don't, I, I don't really look. Maybe I should be looking. I don't know. You pay at any,
2: any price. Uh-huh.
0: I, I would pay any <laughs> price for Wawa coffee at seven in the morning. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. No No problem. No problem. Whatever it is, I'm paying it. Dan, are you a Wawa coffee fan? What kind of, what kind of coffee do you drink?
1: Uh, I don't drink uh, coffee. I, if I, you've seen me, the energy level I have, Mark, if I have coffee, I'm going to be awake for five days. So, my wife drinks it all. The only, the only time I ever drank coffee in my life, my wife used to be a barista at Starbucks, and I drank coffee a lot for about a month, and then I, I gave it up cold turkey. <laughs> oh, that's
0: funny. That is great. So, so you don't need any unnatural caffeine is what you're saying?
1: If, if I get caffeine in me, watch out. I'll be awake for three days. Okay. You'll see a lot of uh, reports all of a sudden just appear if, you, if I have coffee.
0: Now, I'm going, go out on a, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Chris does not drink Wawa coffee. He's got some kind of oh no weird, weird machine that drips coffee. <laughs> do I, do a have little... the weird,
2: I do have the weird machine, but I also uh, I enjoy a, a Wawa coffee. They make a good, uh, oh, good you... espresso there.
0: Right? Oh, okay. All right. My, my whole perception oh, yeah. has changed with that. You know, that was key. Uh, yeah. Ryan, Ryan is definitely a Wawa drinker. Now, do I, uh, do I have that wrong?
3: Don't no, go. I don't drink coffee. I'm like Dan. Oh. So, but my wife generation, does. I don't know. She's a Dunkin' Donuts person, though.
0: Oh, that's good, too. Dunkin' Donuts are good, too. I like that. Yeah. And they're very good. Um, okay, Ryan, you got. we're up to the last, the last statistic that we follow, 10-year uh, treasury yields. And I think we will fill everyone in on uh, where we are on 10-year treasury yields. <laughs> and I think we've done, a lot, we've done a lot of work over the last week or so trying to understand this better. Maybe you can fill folks in on you know, what we've learned. <laughs> And I hear you snickering, Chris. What's the, so the hell tenure is that?
2: now? One point three. Oh, go ahead. Chris. <laughs> oh, yeah, one point
3: three. <laughs> oh,
0: they're one point three. Oh, that's another one point three. Uh, are they actually one point three? <laughs> yes. Yes.
3: Yeah, it's one point three.
0: Is that why you were snickering?
2: Yes. Yes. Because
0: everything is one point three today?
2: That's that's the magic number.
0: That's the magic number. Uh, that's low. Why are they so? Geez, Louise. What's going on, Ryan? How do you, you feel about your
3: 10-year treasury f- yield forecast?
0: Hey, it's yours too. You're in, with, their, in the, with me,
3: right? No? Whoa, we can go back to the first podcast.
0: <laughs> I, I had a lower 10-year
3: <laughs> treasury yield than oh, you did. Oh, wait, about wait, bet. wait. Yeah.
0: That, we got a long way to go for that bet, right? I
3: mean. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm feeling more confident. Okay, we have, a, we have a ways to go. but We
0: have a ways to go. Well, why are they down? I mean, I, uh, what, what have we learned over the, I ask you this every week and uh, we learn a little bit every week. So what have we learned this past week about why they're down?
3: Well, we have the treasury drawing down their cash account at the fed, and they got to get that down by the end of this month to 450 billion to be in compliance with the debt ceiling. So that's requiring less issuance to finance the, uh, the stimulus. Uh, Concerns about the Delta variant, I think, is also weighing on the treasury market. This idea that growth is peaked, not only just in the US, but you know in uh, Asia. And I think that's also weighing on, on the bond market. And I think you and Chris brought up a good point that 1.3 is low, but they're positive where they're negative elsewhere in the world. So the US is still an attractive uh, investment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize uh, that debt ceiling is, I think important right because uh to in compliant that debt ceiling will be reinstated the treasury debt ceiling will be reinstated at the end of the month july to be in compliance with that the treasury can't hold too much cash uh, on hand they they had a lot of cash they've been drawing down that cash and the result is they haven't been issuing any bonds so the net treasury issuance the amount that they're selling versus the amount that are being redeemed or that come to maturity has been uh, very modest in recent, uh, last few months. And, uh, and that probably is uh, weighing on yields. Uh, the, the, the demand is held up, but the supply has been, like everything else, the supply is less than the demand. Uh, price of the bond goes up, the interest rate goes down. But uh, that would suggest that on the other side of the deficit, uh, the debt ceiling, whenever that is, uh, hopefully with regard- when we get these fiscal packages through Congress, then uh we'll start to see more issuance and yields will normalize. That's that's my expectation. Is that consistent with your thinking?
3: Yeah, I just think they're gonna normalize more gradually than, than you right. do.
0: So right now in the forecast we have one point nine percent at the end of the year. You're saying is that okay or is you still you feel uncomfortable with that
3: one point nine. Each passing day I'm getting more yeah, uncomfortable about fair. it. That's fair. You too but Chris you're, you're, is there anything that in economics that you like I mean, there's nothing I don't like less than the debt ceiling.
2: Oh.
0: Oh, yeah. In terms of policy, you mean? Yeah. I, well, the well debt actually, is just let's ask Dan that question. Dan, what do you think of the debt ceiling?
1: Segway. It's one of the dumbest things in the government. And that's saying something. <laughs> and that's saying something.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, that's how ex- I
3: feel. Should we explain what the debt ceiling is?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Fire away.
3: Well, or I'll let Dan to he, he' Yeah, Dan, he's the you want, expert.
0: you want to explain the debt, debt limit, the debt ceiling?
1: Right. Well, the debt, the reason it's, it, what it is, is it's basically a limit on the amount of debt that could be outstanding at any one time for the US government. And the reason that it's stupid, uh, for, that's a very technical um, economic term, uh, is because we're basically issuing debt to pay for spending that we've already approved and authorized. Um, and so it has to just be extended because we're just basically we're funding things that we've already done where we get in trouble is that we try and tie that to future spending Um, and so a lot of times things get held hostage because of the the debt ceiling so what most states do for example is they pass a debt bill and a spending bill concurrently at the same time so that they're basically approving enough debt to be issued to pay for whatever they're passing in terms of spending. And they don't have to come back after the fact and and extend that out into the future and create, you know, these fake crises that uh, Ryan loves because they throw off his uh, his near-term forecast.
0: Yep. That's a great explanation and exactly why it is stupid, by the way, is a good technical term. We should use that more often, I think. In our,
1: in I teach our, my my kids at Villanova that every every all the freshmen. So you have to learn that it's a very important economic term. It's something stupid. You should call it stupid. All the stupid. Um,
0: okay. Well, this, this is a good segue uh, into the topic, uh, the big topic, and that's uh, all the fiscal policy uh, discussions, debate uh, uh, that's uh, all gone going in Washington. So, so what I thought I'd do is I would just spend a minute explain kind of what's going on. Turn to Dan. Dan, you can fill any any you can fill in any holes that I uh, have left, or you know, if I've interpreted anything that you disagree with, you know, you fill, you know, you can um, uh, you can provide your color. And then I thought I'd say here are the things I like about. I'll, I'll do this, or or we can do it another way if you think it's better. I'll say what I like about the the things that are going on with regard to of the fiscal policy discussion and get your reaction and see how you feel, how you guys feel about it. Does that sound like a good game plan to go forward? Okay, all right. So step one is, uh, let me just explain what's going on. There's really uh, two uh, packages, fiscal packages, making their way through uh, the legislative process in Congress, uh, more specifically at the moment in the Senate. The first is this bipartisan Uh, package around infrastructure. Uh, It's mostly traditional infrastructure. It's bipartisan because uh, all the Democrats are on board. And uh, while there's some hand wringing about this, it looks like there's roughly 10 Republicans that are on board. That's key because you need 60 votes in the Senate to break any filibuster and get something through uh, law into law. Uh, and it's it's pretty small. It's about 600 billion in additional infrastructure. Tr- again, traditional infrastructure: roads, bridges, dams, l- some other stuff like broadband and uh, power and resi- uh, resilience, infrastructure resilience. Uh, but mostly traditional infrastructure. 600 billion over over 10 years, and uh, at least on paper, and we can d- debate and discuss this as well. It's uh, it's paid for, uh, you know, they on a dynamic basis, and we can come back and we can talk about what dynamic means. And but uh, on a dynamic basis, the other package that's uh, uh, making its way uh, through the process, and this is er- uh, this is uh, earlier in the process, uh, is a 3.5 trillion dollar uh, set of uh, uh, increased government spending, some tax breaks, credits and then some tax increases to help uh, pay for it uh, yeah, over the uh, 10-year budget horizon. Uh, th- this includes some additional kind of non-traditional infrastructure, say housing-related or global supply chain-related, manufacturing-related. There's a, a fair amount of spending tax uh, breaks with regard to uh, addressing climate change, uh, You know everything from subsidies for electric vehicles to... Um, you know, uh, allowing the federal government to buy more energy efficient kind of equipment and and retrofitting buildings. Uh, There's a fair amount in there for child care, family, uh, paid family leave, a lot on health care, you know, expanding out the uh, ACA, Obamacare, expanding out Medicaid uh, in those states that uh, did not take advantage of uh, the Medicaid expansion under Obamacare, um, and then on the tax side, um, you know, some tax increases on large corporations, multinationals, uh, the well-to-do, um, uh, uh, and um, some other some other tax cuts. I, I, there may also be some rolling back of the uh, cap uh, on uh, so uh, state and local tax deductions salt, uh, so-called salt. Um, So, you know, that's a really quick summary. There's a lot of moving parts here, uh, but that kind of gives you a sense of it. So, 600 billion over 10 years plus 3.5 trillion over 10 years is 4.1 trillion. Uh, And, you know, that's kind of sort of roughly in the same ballpark as what President Biden proposed in his American Families Plan and Jobs Plan back uh, uh, month two, three ago. Of the so-called build back better agenda. So at least in in uh, spirit, uh, scope, uh, size roughly, it's kind of in the ballpark with uh, the build back better agenda. Okay. That's a quick, did it as fast as I could. Hopefully that made some sense. Let me ask the group beginning with Dan. Dan, any holes in what I explained? Did I get anything wrong? Is it roughly right?
1: No, I think you, you did a good summary there, because there's a lot in there to summarize, um, as you mentioned. I think the only thing, and I think there's, there's some proper criticism being aimed at the $3.5 trillion bill, is they're trying to say that it's paid for, but if you look at a lot of the assumptions they're making to pay for that, it, it's really not paid for. So I think there's a lot more controversy around that piece than the, the infrastructure bill, which is probably why they've been able to get those 10 Republicans on board for the infrastructure bill and, and nobody for the other side.
0: Well, we'll hold that thought for a second. before we get there, though, let me ask Chris and Ryan: Anything else you want to add in terms of the description of these policies? Uh, anything I missed that you think is important to point out?
3: No, I think you got it all. Okay.
2: Yeah, Chris, high level, high level. I think I okay. got it all.
0: Okay, so I, I was going to say one of the reasons I like the plan, the plans, is that it is it roughly pays for itself. You know, over. Uh, the ten-year budget horizon on a dynamic basis, but uh, I'm going to stop right there. Dan, you explain to me why you think it sounds like you don't think that's right—that is not going to be paid for. So, what are you what are you looking at when you say that?
1: So, I think the the infrastructure piece probably—I mean, depending on how you score it, static or dynamic—and we should probably explain what that means. So, on a static basis, um, we, we go through and we you you estimate how much something is going to cost. Um, all else equal, kind of on its own. So you don't you don't take the impacts of itself in of itself. I guess if that's a way to put it. Um, so we did this a lot in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act on a static basis. Um, it didn't pay for itself and on a dynamic basis, it, it probably still didn't pay for itself but it paid for a lot more of itself than it would. The reason being that if you give somebody a tax cut, it's going to generate more economic activity which is going to result subsequently in more tax revenue which is why you can kind of offset some of that. Um, so they're using you know, similar math to what uh, was done for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to try and explain why these pieces are, are paid for uh, over time. Uh, and that's a, a dubious way to to do budgeting. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of budgeting on a static basis. It's a much more conservative way to go about things and prevents kind of downside surprises. Um, but if you look at a lot of the analysis that's come out so far, and it's it's difficult to say with certainty around the the, the congressional um, proposals because we don't have a lot of hard numbers on all of those things yet. But when we looked at the the Biden administration plan, for example, um, it's that three and a half trillion dollar piece that really is a bit scary there is some 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 budget um, uh, maneuvers going on into those calculations to make things look a little bit more paid for than they really are some of that is because some of those spending programs don't go out into perpetuity but the, the tax increases do but if you look at a lot of those spending programs, especially in the social benefits stuff, um, those are going to be things that are impossible to repeal. So even though they're scoring it as that they're going to end or sunset, those things are probably around forever once you you actually pass them. The other thing is there's a lot of things, uh, especially in tax compliance, so they're counting on a lot of money. Uh, if they give more money to the IRS, that the IRS is going to be able to close that tax gap. Um, those are really kind of nebulous numbers. And to, to budget off of those, Uh, in terms of a pay for it is difficult to do. And so while I think that that $600 billion infrastructure plan, you can probably make a good case for being paid for that three and a half trillion really scares me given, you know, that 202% number that we talked about just a little while ago.
0: Yeah. You know, on the, on the $600 billion plan in that, uh, they do uh, hope for some dynamic benefit, right? So uh, of the 600 billion, I think, they're counting on 50, 60 billion in uh, dynamic benefit. Again, that's uh, the uh, increased infrastructure spending helps support economic growth. That economic growth means more tax revenue. It also means less government spending because the economy is stronger. So you don't need the same kind of uh, spending for various types of government support. And uh, if you count for that, uh, they I think they're, they're expecting 10, 15% of the 600 billion to be Paid for on a on a dynamic basis, which which by the way I think that's that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, all the budgeting we do uh, is uncertain. There's a lot of assumptions, a lot of uh, uncertainty around the estimates, even on a static basis. And uh, while there that applies to trying to understand the dynamic benefits of these packages, I think that gives us a, a more realistic understanding of where. Uh, the we 're going to land with regard to fiscal the fiscal costs uh, that's it's just not accounting for the economic effects i think means it 's just a less accurate forecast of you know what the fiscal impacts will be but but nonetheless yeah that 's there as well but you make a good point on i it, you make a lot of good points i you know i think they 're all really good and by the way just a level set i think it it is critical that uh that, that we, uh, you know, we pay for uh, these programs uh, that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, as close as we can, roughly speaking, given all the uncertainty that, you know, with an economy that's now on track to get back to full employment, uh, we need to uh, put, if we 're going to put forward policies and I think we should those policies need to be paid for one way or the other, so I agree with you on that and i don 't i 'm not in the camp that thinks that deficits and debt don 't matter I think they they will they 'll matter and they 'll matter again uh, relatively soon but uh, and you, and I do think you make a really good point on the uh, the amount of money being raised through uh, closing the so-called tax gap, you know, the cheating that goes on, which I think, I think everyone agrees there's a lot of cheating going on. People aren't paying, you know, their fair share, but actually making them pay, getting them pays is, is, is going to be uh, pretty difficult. Okay. So, so Chris, Ryan, you want to weigh in on this? I mean, Dan's making a point that, you know, this, you know, maybe on paper is paid for, but in reality, maybe it doesn't get close enough. Uh, I'm saying, okay, that's, there's some. I agree with that, but you know, I, I think we're close enough. You guys, any have any views on that particular issue?
2: I guess I'm closer to Dan on this one. I, I worry about some of the uh, the claims and assumptions about, say, productivity growth. Uh, if you take the infra- infrastructure plan, for example, I think that's more about loss avoidance than gain. Right? Uh, we're, we're likely just to repair infrastructure that we have. Right to prevent a loss in GDP growth in the future rather than installing a new um, interstate highway that's going to suddenly give us a a productivity gain. So, I think uh, I I would uh, err on the side of caution in terms of reading into the the gains we might get from these programs. So, more on that side,
0: I don't get that argument at all that one that you just made because you know, I think we have been under investing in infrastructure for a long time, there's such low hanging fruit. I mean, the returns on any type of infrastructure spending you do now, because we have not been investing should be higher. I mean, when I say returns, I mean, economic returns, the gains to, to productivity, uh, you know, we don't have to build a, a new inter, you're right. I mean, if we build a new interstate highway, that would be a game changer. But I mean, just repairing roads so that, you know, we don't, you know, uh, uh uh, uh, blow a tire while we're we're going down the road that's a that's a big game you know that Uh,
2: it's a small game no really (laughs) i think it's a small and also i also worry about um how this thing actually gets implemented and executed right okay that's a great point there are probably some bridges in all us we probably shouldn't repair we probably should knock them down they're right they're already at a local level though if you give control the uh, local authorities are going to say, I want to repair every bridge in my jurisdiction. Oh, I think you man. need to step back. Oh, and
0: geez. That's an argument. That we, uh, <laughs> let's not do any infrastructure spending. because it, Oh, not it, at all. I, yeah. I mean, we well, gotta be, of course, you're going to have that problem. By it. definition, you're going to have that problem, right? I mean, because it, you yeah, have to make a decision about is it this road or is that, that bridge and you're going to have that issue, but you got to make that decision. That's not a yeah. reason not but to do it.
2: No, I'm not saying I, not to do I, it. I think, I'm saying we need to do it, but we have to be smart about how we execute. Right? If okay, you just perfect. dole out the money at a local level, right. everyone's going to look yeah. at their own little oh, world, okay. and it's going to be inefficient.
1: And Yeah, and to both of those points that Chris made, Mark, I think one of the things he's, he's, and I think a lot of people have said this, is there definitely will be some, anytime we do infrastructure, there's big multiplier effects, especially near-term, given all the construction money that goes into those things. But in terms of long-term productivity gains, um, you're not going to see, you know, it, that might move the needle for GDP for the next three, four years, but moving it 15 years from now and repairing that road probably doesn't, you know, doesn't carry a whole lot of weight.
0: Oh, I don't, I'm not so sure about that. I mean, I don't know, Ryan, I mean, fix I the Schuylkill Skook, Expressway a little bit. It'll make a huge yep. difference forever. Yeah, reduces <laughs> con-
3: congestion costs. I'm with you. I'm oh, with you yeah. on this one, Mark, but I'm also, yeah, I, think
0: the,
3: I think we have to do it. And I think we shouldn't worry too much about how we pay for it interest rates are so low. And if you look at the government's, uh, basically their debt service burden. So their interest payments as a share of GDP is really low. Like now is the time to do it. Uh, and I'm afraid we're gonna make the same mistake we did after the great recession. We shifted to fiscal austerity too soon, took a lot of wind out of the economy sales. This seems like we haven't learned our lesson.
1: Right, but this is not fiscal austerity, Ryan. This is not- No, I know. No, you know, I'm increasing... saying down the road. <laughs>
3: this is the first step to because, fiscal austerity but, when people start about worrying his, about.
0: But what about his point, though? I mean, is, you got 1.3 percent ten-year Treasury yield. I, I literally, I could put a map of the United States on my wall over here, shut my eyes, throw a dart, lands anywhere. I assure you, I can find a project uh, randomly selected that has a return that's greater than 1.3 percent
1: Yes, sure. That's which is point. which is why I don't think. Which is why I don't think a lot of people are arguing with the six. Uh, the six six uh, $600 billion. It's the $3.5 trillion piece of this that really has all the, the controversy around it.
0: No, no, but Chris is arguing about the infrastructure. He, he, uh, he's, he's arguing that the returns are low. Yeah.
2: I'm not saying, again, I, I think loss avoidance is a great reason to do it, right? If we don't do it and the, the, the bridges actually do fall down, right, we're going to have even more of a productivity drag. So I think, it, I think there's more right, yeah. for it. But don't expect some type of economic miracle from this, uh, this plan. It's really just about keeping the current status oh. quo, right?
0: Well, okay, well, that's, that's a, uh, a uh, debating ploy. Uh, don't <laughs> expect a miracle. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, 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 we're not talking miracles. Just the uh, uh, blocking and tackling. Okay, well, that, that's, that, those are all good, all, right, all fair discuss, uh, debates and discussions. Let me ask you one other, one other thing I like about the plan, at least in spirit. Just curious uh as to your perspective. And that is, and this is how I frame it, that this is a plan designed to help support growth. You know, I think infrastructure will lift productivity growth. And not, it's not a it's not a miracle, it's not a game-changing event, but it's gonna move the dial. And in a lot of the other spending, and we can talk about this too, will and tax breaks are about lifting labor force participation and labor force growth, which is gonna be very important going forward, but, we're, but, but here's the point. The benefits of that stronger economy of the economic growth will go to lower middle-income households, in part because the, most, a lot of the programs that are getting funding here are designed to help lower-income, lower-middle-income households, and in, and in part because the uh, tax increases used to help pay for all this uh, you know, fall, the incidence of that fall uh, largely on higher income well- to do so' it's, it's about trying to lift long-term growth, but also making sure that the benefits of that long-term growth uh, go to the, the groups, the lower middle income groups that have been, uh, that have uh, been left behind uh, over the last uh, you know 30 forty years with the skewing of the income wealth distribution. What do you think about that kind of frame? How do you think about that? Do you, do you think that's a good argument or not so much <laughs>
1: I think it's that's a great um, goal and a great way to kind of start the, the discussion about this. But in terms of practical standpoint, I don't know that, especially that three and a half trillion dollar bill, I don't know that it does that very well. But I agree that that's where we where should want to move things.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think there are parts of it that are very clear, right? Uh, oh, so I'm a big fan of the earned income tax credit. I think that that has a proven track record, bipartisan support. I think that's a, a program that, that certainly will achieve or get us closer to achieving that objective. Child care, some of the health hey, hey, Chris, care.
0: Chris, just really quick on that. The EITC is being expanded for childless workers as part of the plan. So uh, it's that's an right. expansion of the EITC, right? Okay,
2: that's right, that's right. Uh, and I think that's a, a, that's a good thing. You're you're targeting, you're right, there are, there are income limits, right? So you're targeting a very specific uh, population at the lower end of the uh, income distribution. So that seems very clear. There's a lot of economic theory to support it. Uh, so I think that's, a, that's that's very clear. Electric vehicle subsidies, that's a, I, I, that, I think in that case, it's become, it comes, certainly becomes less clear who's going to actually benefit uh, from that plan. So I think we need to take this thing apart and look case by case. I think there are certainly aspects that will achieve your stated objectives, but others that less so.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, I totally right. Because there's so much going on here, right? I mean, there's so many moving parts. So many. Not all of them are going to be helpful just to low middle income groups. It's not that uh, that that would be hard to uh, uh, believe, you know, given all the all the things that are going on. But the totality of it, if you look at the broad strokes of it, uh, it it particularly on the tax side. I mean, who's going to bear the incidence of the tax? The tax increases. That is, it, it if it looks like it's uh, working to help low income households and and the higher income households, the high net worth households are paying
1: for it. You yeah. Know? But there are other, it's just like you were saying, well, there's some stuff in there too, like the salt um, deduction. I mean, that's, a, that's all goes to high income taxpayers and they want to get rid of that.
0: Yeah, that's true. Absolutely true. Yep. That, that's uh that, that, that's one of those things where it uh, feels like that has to be in there for political reasons to get that through, get enough democratic votes to vote for it. Cause I, you know, obviously, sure. yeah, it's the new England, it's Northeast, it's California. Those are the areas that got hit hardest by the, the cap on the salt deduction. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I do agree with you with regard to, I think you called, said execution risk. Did you say that Chris? Yes. Was it execution yeah. risk? Yep. There, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, it is a complex set of proposals. Um, you know, some of it is expanding. You know, I think it, it's good that uh, a lot of it is of, the, of, it, of it is expanding out, scaling up existing programs. Like So, for example, uh, to help housing, uh, build more affordable rental housing, uh, the plan calls for an expansion of the housing trust fund, which right now is a very small program that uh, they want to uh, in part of the plan, expand that out to pro- provide a lot more resources for rental housing. Uh, uh, but a lot of it is new programs as well. So they're talking about as part of it, a you know carbon border tax. Uh, that's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big massive change uh, in, the, in the tax code. So there, uh, I do think, the, uh, in my view, the most significant threat or risk here is the execution risk. You know how it's going to take some pretty deft governance uh, to make this work out in a way that is um, uh, lands us in the place where we want to land. Uh, so I, I totally agree with that, and I assume you do as well, Dan. Now, that's something you, I'm sure, you're concerned about.
1: Very much so. Yeah, especially in some of those social benefit programs, because as you know, we talked about earlier, a lot of those are or some of those are expected to sunset at a certain time. And they're gonna, it's going to take that whole time just to get those programs up and running properly. Um, and so I don't think those programs are going away anytime soon. And so you're building out a huge amount of recurring spending going forward that is just not going to be paid for. And, and also it's shown historically to grow at a much faster rate than your other um, kind of discretionary spending items in the budget.
3: Sounds like Dan's at an infrastructure site right now.
0: yeah
1: Yeah, i'm seeing the bill in in in, i'm seeing the bill put into effect already these guys are expecting that money so
0: yeah dan's by the way listener dan's in transit he's uh, somewhere where are you in virginia somewhere is that what you said
1: i'm just outside harrisonburg virginia
0: Uh, nice spot nice spot hey before we uh, leave this topic one other sort of controversial debate discussion is around the tax increases, particularly the tax increases on corporations. So uh, President Trump, uh, in his tax legislation, the so the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, TCGA passed at the very end of 2017, implemented in 2018, lowered the top marginal rate f- for corporations from 35% to 21. In the proposals that are being debated now, it's, it's qu- not quite clear what uh, there was being proposed, but it's either st- going from 21 back up to 25 or 20, 21 back up to 28, something like that. There's a lot of hand wringing, uh, particularly in kind of, uh, kind of conservative circles that, that would do a lot of economic damage to the economy that, uh, going back, you know, rolling back the TCGA tax cuts, uh, from um, from 21 to 25 or 28 would do a lot of damage. How do you think about that, Dan? Do you think that's a that, that's a big deal? Would that do a lot of damage to economic growth long run?
1: I think it's it's kind of I, I wasn't surprised to see that. I think everybody thought it was coming. What I was really surprised to see was to see that and the higher capital gains rates simultaneously, uh, because that's really a, a change in the way that tax policy thinkers have been have been looking at this. There's been a lot of push. Uh, uh, from the the conservative folks lately uh, to get rid of the, the corporate income tax altogether, but in exchange for that, you would tax capital gains as normal income. Um, the problem is, is if you do both, then that capital is being taxed twice, both at the personal level and at the, the corporate level, and that could definitely have some some negative effects. Um, but if you take the existing tax structure and just increase the the corporate income tax up to twenty five percent, I don't think, as Chris said, I don't think that's that's a game changer for most corporations. I think that's something that most of them would have built in contingencies for already.
3: I mean, yeah. the, the tax cuts didn't do anything for business investment. When you strip out the energy related effect so why are on the reverse are people expecting a big hit
1: yeah that's what i'm saying that in in and of itself i don't think is a huge hit but i think what most people are maybe not only the the tax nerds like myself are really thinking about is doing that and the higher um, uh, capital gains taxes at the same time uh, are going to have some some interesting effects uh, especially uh, on certain companies yeah, and of
0: course that goes back to the point about who bears the the, the burden here. Uh, you, know, you know, raising the top marginal rate and raising the cap gains tax, obviously that is the incidence of that is on the well-to-do, high-income households. So, it, I think you're right. Uh, it, it that could have some more negative economic consequences. But again, it, the idea is to to uh, place the burden of uh, of paying. For this, or at least partially paying for this, on uh, on the well-to-do. Actually,
1: Ryan, right? There is there's a, a, there's no, a, oh, go ahead, Dan. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a, oh, there's a strong argument, and I don't, I don't completely buy into the argument. But there's a strong argument that that corporate tax increase could be passed on to workers as well. Uh, and I think that's very um, industry specific, but that's definitely a concern that's out there, and I think it's worth mentioning.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, uh, worth, worth pointing out. Um, uh, Bill Gale and a colleague just put out a paper, Brookings paper, uh, trying, uh, looking at the TCGA tax cuts uh, and uh, on investment, on wages, on repatriation. Uh, uh, what else? Oh, you know, uh, on um, uh, share repurchases. Uh, and uh, I thought it was pretty convincing. Uh, they, they looked at the two years, 2018-19 they didn't do 2020 obviously because of the pandemic and they compared that to 2016, 17. So the two years prior to the TCGA implementation and the two years after, and I, I, I recommend everyone go take a look at that. I mean, they pretty much showed that the impacts were pretty much on the margin. I thought, you know, not, not very large and consistent with our work. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah I good, thought it was a good piece. Yeah, it was a good piece. Oh, by the way, I have a good piece coming out on Monday, just saying uh, on, on these proposals. So, You'll get my, uh, my own, uh, my, um, uh, along with Bernard Yaros, or one of our other colleagues who's been on the podcast before, we, we're uh, running uh, these fiscal packages through our models and we'll produce uh, uh, a paper on Monday. Uh, so um, look out for that. Um, okay, we're going to end it this way because I know Dan needs to get on the road here. Okay, imagine you're each a senator. Uh, you can pick any state you want. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, I'd like to know which state you'd like to be Senator of, but, you know, uh, you're the Senator, you now have to vote uh, on the bipartisan package first, and then vote on the 3.5 trillion. I and I know, you know, things haven't been nailed down yet. It's a little opaque. You're not sure what you're voting for, but let's just, let's just go with it. Okay. You know, you know, Read, imagine that you under, you know, exactly what's in the plan. Uh, you know, similar to what's been described. Okay, uh, I'll, go with, uh, I'll go with Ryan first. So, Ryan, wh- where are you, Senator, from?
3: I'm going to go to Massachusetts. Okay. You have all the fringe benefits of you know, going to the Red Sox games, Patriots.
0: Uh-huh. That's right. That's That's a good point. Very good point. So, okay, bipartisan bill is up for a vote.
3: Oh, I, I vote for it.
0: And the 3500000000000 trillion?
3: I'm for it.
2: Okay. Got two votes. Uh, Chris, um, where, are you sen- where are you a senator from? I'm trying to think. I would say Washington, D.C., but, you know, that's an option. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'll take uh, Maryland.
0: Maryland. Uh, okay. Yeah. Any particular reason why Maryland?
2: Well, it's a pretty state.
0: It is a pretty state. It <laughs>
2: yeah, is. Uh, yeah. Between you, us. You went uh, to school there? Went to school oh, yeah, there. Johns I'm Hopkins, there. right. There you go. There you go. Yeah.
0: Okay. So how are you going to vote, Chris? I know this is, this actually, this is, this is really the single most important because I knew how Ryan's going to vote. I have a kind of a sense how Dan's going to vote, although he might surprise me, but Chris, I just can't. He
2: can't read me. Um, he's
0: like, he's like down the middle. So, okay, Chris, exactly. no so swirling so, out of it. You got to tell us who you, are you so voting for that, for the bipartisan bill? Yes. Okay. Yes. The $3.5 trillion? No.
2: Oh, no.
0: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. But its quarter form,
2: no. We're
0: no. <laughs> doomed. Okay, I'm going to come Charles back Hopkins to you in a second. take
3: away your degree.
0: <laughs> I'm going to come back to you in a second. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Dan, 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 how are you going to vote on the bipartisan bill? Oh, no, wait. What state are you senator from?
1: Oh, I live in Pennsylvania for a reason, Mark. I love it too I much, know. though. I Although looking around so. me at the mountain, looking around me in in the hills in Virginia here, I don't know that this would be a bad place either. Though, um, yeah. I would say uh, yes on the bipartisan deal and a hell no on the three point five trillion.
0: <laughs> hell no, hell no. Okay, so we got two votes against. Oh, the bipartisan bill—that's that's a done deal then. Yeah, we're we're done. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that's going to pass. Okay, on the. Now we got one vote for the 3.5 trillion and two against, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely you know, Yeah, I'm voting for it. So we're tied. We're tied. So, uh, we need Cam- Camilla Harris to come and, and break the, lo- the deadlock here. Uh, <laughs> Vice president, obviously. Uh, but before. Well,
1: well, hang on, Mark. You didn't say what right. state you were.
0: Oh, oh. Uh, well, you know, Dan, you and I are going to have to vie for that Pennsylvania seat. I know you'd make a well, two senators actually you, you, you would make a great senator. I'm not in all fairness. I think you, I would vote for you, Dan. I'd absolutely. But what I contribute to his campaign. Hmm. Yeah. That would do that too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a seat opening up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I contribute. Yeah. You're, 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 I think you're really a very reasonable guy and you'd be very good for the state. Um, but I, yeah. I,
1: Mark, sorry, I think I, if you I, and I were the two senators from PA, the whole Senate would be a better place if- it you know you what? I, I like economics. that idea.
0: I like that idea a lot. Yeah. We, we should think about that.
1: Um,
0: oh, but here's what I wanted to ask. So Chris first, uh, yeah. what would have to change in the $3.5 trillion bill for you to vote for it? Or, or, or is it just no way there's just nothing? Dan said, hell no. So I can't imagine there's much anything there that can swing his vote. But this is really key. Now this is really key, Ryan. Uh what is it in the legislation that you would change that would swing your vote over to a yes.
2: So this is Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin. (laughs) I think this the size, uh I think it's too big. It's too or biting off too much in one bite. Okay. how big? You need to skinny it down. I'd be more comfortable with something in the 1.5 to 2 trillion okay. max. Okay, probably yep. a trillion would be my gambit, but that's not yep. going to fly. Yep. Um, Anything else? And then, and then, I think there's a compromise then on the uh, on the tax portion of it, right? What, think, what do you mean? I think the tax rates go up, uh, but maybe they don't go. What do we say? 24, 25? I think there's some compromise 25. there, as well as on the uh, capital gains, right? So I think there's some right sizing, if you will, of the tax as well as the just the spending.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought you would have gone there. I thought you would have gone on the spending side somehow, but you you would go to you're you're more worried about the tax increases.
2: I think to get it passed and at least give some olive branch in terms of uh bipartisanship here. <laughs> at least yeah. we're listening. But
0: yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, Okay. Before we uh, we wrap this up, anything else, Dan? Anything else you want to say? I mean, I kind of led the conversation, but so is there something you'd want to say that we didn't get to?
1: I just uh, to emphasize again how important the long term um, fiscal assumptions are here, because if you're talking about trillions of dollars that's going to have an impact in that 30-year number, whether you like it or not. So uh, it's really important to keep an eye on it. I know that you're going to have uh, some folks on in a couple of weeks to talk about that in more detail, but um, really important what those long-term fiscal assumptions look like.
0: Yeah, just to uh, make that clear, Maya McGinnis, who's uh, the director of, I think it's, it's called the Center for Responsible Budget, I believe, and has been a you know, very yeah. outspoken voice on budget issues and the need for fiscal discipline which, which again I think you know entirely appropriate is going to be on I think two weeks or three weeks from now so we're very much looking forward to that uh and Ryan you, you need to be on best behavior for that conversation I know you know you give our guests a lot of you know flack so you know just rein
3: it in a little bit please you know I mean you just got to remember in the long run we're all dead yeah that's true
0: that's very true but our children
2: aren't yeah yeah
0: Hey, you know this podcast has run on a long time. Sorry about that, Dan, but you know it was a really interesting uh, topic and a lot to talk about. And I and I, I thought the way we ended it was kind of pretty cool. It kind of summarizes the, the reality of the situation, that you know there's folks that are on board, folks that are not on board, and there's folks in the middle. And those folks in the middle, uh, you know, want um, uh, are are I think appropriately worried about of the size of this and what it means for deficits and debt long run and you know what it means for our families 30 years from now so um i think we kind of encapsulate exactly the debate that's going on in washington uh but you know uh in our forecast we are expecting a fiscal package to get through and actually it's about 3.5 trillion in total over 10 years so uh you know say that with some intrepidation but that is in our baseline forecast so we are expecting uh, a package to get uh, through the, the uh, reconciliation process. Uh, that bipartisan bill will get passed and uh, that's, the, that's part of the forecast. But uh, we'll see. I do want to mention that um, uh, we uh, have now added to our website, economy.com, a place where you can go and tell us what you would like us to talk about. What topics do you think we should be talking about? By the way, deficits and debt are towards the top of the list so far, but please go to economy.com. You'll see the banner. Click on that. Go to Inside Economics, and you know, tell us what you want us to talk about, uh, and uh, we'll get the, the right guests, and um, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll dive deeper into that. So, with that, I want to thank you uh, for attending, uh, and uh, talk to you next week.